Welcome to the Bring Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story God is redeeming in her life. I can't wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God's calling you to, and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guests this week are Kelsey and Chad Wallen. From day one of Kelsey and Chad's dating and married life, James 1 verse 27 has been the verse that has guided their family decisions and ways that they serve Jesus. God has blessed them with three beautiful girls and together their family has had ample opportunities to serve the orphan and the widow through foster care and mentoring. Hey friends, Bethany Braybreaker. Welcome back to another episode of the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm excited. We have two guests today, which is exciting. And Kelsey is actually a return guest. She was in season one. So I'll make sure and put the link in the show notes if you want to watch her episode. We talk about all about removing labels. Um, but this is Kelsey and Chad Wallen. Thanks so much for being on the show, guys. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself since it's been a while, little while since at least you've been on the podcast, Kelsey. Yeah. Do you want to share it? Do you want me to? You do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, as Bethany said, I'm Kelsey and this is my husband, Chad. Uh, we've been married nine and a half years. Yep. We just went through this the other day. Yep. We About couldn't nine remember. Um, we have, uh, we live in Texas and we have three little girls biologically. Uh, Naomi is eight, Zoe is six, and Quinley is five. Um, we also have a 22 year old that lives with us. We call her our oldest adopted daughter. Um, she, so we moved here, um, to Texas from Oregon about three years ago and she moved with us. Um, so she lives with us. And then right now we have a little baby who is two and a half months old, um, through foster care. And he, um, is just a joy. Um, well, right now he has a cold, so he's a little <laughs> difficult, but normally he's an absolute joy. Um, so we, like I said, we live in, uh, in Texas. Um, we have been here about three years. Um, Chad gets to run a nonprofit ministry that we started up together, uh, full time. I work full time. Um, and yeah, we just kind of do life. There are lots of hats. I love it. So today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be able to serve ministry while having a family. I think a lot of us think we've got to do this before, you know, we have kids or maybe wait till kids are, um, you know, out of the house. But y'all are partnering and doing it with your children and you are just pivoting when God tells you to pivot. And I just know just from observing, I guess I would say, um, your story. You guys just do what he calls you to do. And so I want to lean into your story. Why don't you guys share a little bit about what this journey has looked like serving in ministry as a family? Yeah. Let me take it again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, um, so ministry, I think that actually started just before we started, um, started dating that both of us were kind of starting that path of ministry. And I, I know it all started with uh, God, what do you want for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, conversation. Um, mine was, uh, I felt was really clear, but God took me on a couple loops, um, before, um, he took me where I was supposed to be. Um, I remember praying about it and feeling like the Lord saying, yep. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I thought I was being told I was going to go overseas and do ministry overseas. That's what sounded good. It sounded fun. And uh, God said, well, yes and no. Um, I'm going to search you off in kids ministry, um, children's ministry or whatever at church, and then also in divorce recovery ministry. And, um, and that's how we met, right? So 
uh, Bethany and I met um, was through that. Um, and so it, I, I sat in there for a little bit and then that's when God opened up the doors for overseas um, to be able to go um, serve a ministry in Thailand that rescues children that are at risk of being sold into the sex trade. And so, you know, kind of, a, that's, that's how we met, um, was on that mission trip, uh, over to Thailand. Yeah. So the funny thing about that whole story is I was serving the four and five-year-olds at a church in Eugene, Oregon, and she was serving four and five-year-olds at a church in Portland, Oregon. And so it's just like, wait a second, we we're both serving the same group of, of kids. And then we come together and we're serving the same ministry for kids. So that's kind of how our story started. That's how it kicked off. Um, and then realized how much we're in tune just with the, um, I mean, it kind of all got dialed down to the, um, the orphan and the widow has really kind of dialed into where our, both of our hearts have laid. So it's, it's all different aspects of the orphan and the widow, but, um, uh, but yeah, that's, well, that's kind of where we kicked off. Yeah. And so that kind of started the foundation of our dating season, our uh, early marriage season, all of that um, was really kind of with this heart of how do we serve? And I don't think at the time we necessarily were like, oh, okay, we're going to get into, you know, caring for the orphan Mm -hmm. and the widow. It just like looking back and seeing how God orchestrated that kind of just as a common thread throughout all of the things that we've done in our life. Um, We, so we got married, uh, what was it like? 10, nine months after we started dating, uh, yeah, something, something pretty, like we, we got married pretty quick. Um, and then uh, we, as we were dating and all of that, we had had talks of like, okay, well, what do we want our family to look like? How many kids, all that. And so I always had in my mind, I wanted to have two and adopt two kids. Um, and so he's like, sure. Okay. You know, so we get married and then our church um, in Beaverton offered a, uh, we, a Saturday event and it was called father to the fatherless. And it was all about mentoring, fostering, and, adop- and adoption. And so I said, hey, you know, or you said, I don't know, somehow we ended up deciding to go um, because we were interested in eventually adopting. Um, so we went and we listened. He really wanted to go for mentoring. He yeah. had a, a heart for mentoring. Um, you know, like I said, I was more into the um, adoption young, side of things. Young men specifically. Yeah, young, young men. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, then somehow we wound up in the breakout session for foster care. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, totally the Lord just orchestrating our steps. And, uh, there, I just remember still to this day, I mean, that was 10, nine years ago. Um, still to this day, I can remember there was a young man that shared that was still in the foster system, but he was like 17. He was about to age out and he just shared his experience. And I totally get chills just even thinking about it. Like he just shared his experience of what he's gone through being in the system for ever. Um, and what that looks like for him going aging out of the system. And so we both walked out of that weekend and said, well, we need to foster. (laughs) Um, so that was on a Saturday. Uh, we were gung ho. Yep. Let's foster. Uh, Monday I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. Surprise. (laughs) Like, okay, Lord, like now what? Like, uh, you know, we're, we're what? two, three months married at this point, super young in our marriage. Um, three months. Yeah. yeah. Three months. We were, you know, just found out we we're going to have our own. And so we felt like the Lord is just leading us to continue to pursue fostering. It takes, um, it takes a good amount of time, typically about six months up to a year um, to be able to go through all your classes to get certified to foster. So um, we said, okay, well, let's just keep pursuing this and kind of, um, you know, start to to work on all of that. So that as soon as God says, yes, then we can, we can run. Um, so that we kind of worked on that throughout the, the year of like pregnancy. And then just when she was first born, um, and when she was nine months old, I believe 
eight, nine. She was 11 months. 11 months. Okay. Uh, We both independently felt like the Lord was calling us to um, finish the certification to be able to foster. Um, Oh, that was nine months. That was, okay. We got our first to it. When she was 11. 11, Yeah. So we both, you know, independently and then came together and said, hey, that's exactly what the Lord's been leading me into. So, all right, let's do it. Um, so yeah, we got our first placement, um, when she was 11 months old, uh, when our youngest biological daughter was 11 months old, um, or yeah, sorry, oldest. Um, and so we got two girls, eight and 10. Um, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was a roller coaster, um, a little you know, shock to the system, a little shock to the system, but <laughs> just amazing. And um, but the thing that I like to share with people um, and kind of what you touched on, Bethany, is, um, you know, she was 10 months old and she's about eight and a half. And all she's known is a life of fostering, you know, and serving. And, um, you know, obviously we have different avenues now with with advanced camp, with mentoring, with all sorts of different things of other areas where we're serving. But that was just ingrained from the get go. Um, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. I mean, I don't think there's ever a like, oh, you're too late, you know, but yeah. the the character and quality of different pieces of her, of Naomi that I see um, that stem directly from that servanthood mm-hmm. is just amazing to me. And it's nothing we've done. I mean, it's literally, I'm like, how did you know to take care of them like that? Like I, you know, it's nothing we've done intentionally. It's more of just been, this is our, this is our family. Yeah. And um, a while back I started a blog that I called just a normal foster family. And really that was what it came down to is like, I just want to normalize the fact that families can foster, they can be in ministry, they can start a church they can you know whatever it is that they're wanting to do with their kids and we get asked pretty often i feel like of like well what's been the impact of foster care on Mm -hmm. your kids um you know i'm gonna wait till they're out of the house or i'm gonna wait till they're in high school or whatever and i'm like well first of all we've had to be pretty strategic in the different kiddos that we've taken through placements um we, for the longest time, we only did, um, older sibling sets. And so they were like eight, 10, 12 year old kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a season where we had a really young, a, a baby, which was great. Um, and then we moved to Texas. We took a placement that, um, the two boys were the same age as our biological girls. That was a terrible idea. That was terrible. Uh, highly recommend never doing that. Um, but I mean, overall, obviously, you know, things went well, uh, eventually it was, it was probably our hardest, probably second hardest placement, um, set that we've had. Um, so we've had to be strategic in that of like, okay, we're not going to take kids (laughs) that are the same age as our kids anymore because especially at that age, they're four, four, five, five, and seven. Yeah. Yeah. It was was a zoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I didn't realize how loud your house could be with that <laughs> many young kids. Like yeah. the silence was, it was like summer camp. <laughs> it was, all it was like summer camp 24 seven. Yeah. Um, but anyways, oh, and that's when COVID hit too. So we were all home, uh, you know, doing virtual learning at home and whatever else. It was yeah, nuts, virtual but learning. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't happen. <laughs> uh, anyways, so, uh, I share all that to say like, you know, yeah. we, we've, try to be strategic in what we've said yes to. And does this make sense for our family? Um, and we've had to take a lot of breaks. Um, you know, every time that we have kiddos leave, um, you know, to either a different placement or adoptive resource back to mom, whatever it may be. Um, we always take an extended break 
um, whether that's a month, whether that's six months, um, whatever that looks like. Um, and that's our family's chance to recharge. Mm-hmm. And that's our family's chance to say, okay, this is our core unit. And when we are all ready, I mean, you know, they're like, like you said, they're only eight, six and five, but they all get to say, you know, and so once we're all ready to say yes again, then we'll put our name back in, you know, to get more kiddos, but it has to be a joint um, conversation. Yeah. 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 And we talked to the girls about, you know, Hey, like with foster care specifically, you can set like age ranges or gender preferences, that sort of thing. So we have those conversations with the girls too, of like, Hey, you know, what do y'all think about doing a baby, you know, or what do you think about doing older kids or, you know, that kind of a thing. And so they all get their, their say in that too. Um, yeah. They said so. they want a little brother and we got a little brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we definitely, they have to have buy-in on it. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's uh, uh there's consequences if you don't have buy-in that yeah. they will hold it against you. Um, resentment or whatever that looks like. And, um, you know, we, we got to stay in tune with our, our kids though, because we start seeing behavioral stuff on um, attitude mm-hmm. stuff because yeah. now they're losing attention and mm-hmm. the guy, he's pretty good. But for the first month of his life, he was, you know, he had, he was uphill climb. And so he needed a lot of attention just like any baby does, but he came out of a pretty rough situation. And so that attention that was given to him was not given to them. And so now you have to over, you know, they have to compensate for that. Right. Mm-hmm. So more daddy daughter dates, more mommy daughter dates, yeah. uh, more intentional stuff. Um, so I think that's one thing that I, I think people go into ministry. They, um, they forget about the fact that they're giving up something to do something. And when you're saying mm-hmm. yes, to something, you're saying no to something else. Absolutely. And so that's, that's one thing we've been very intentional about is with our girls is um, making sure that they they're just as valued uh, as whoever we're serving. So, um, you know, the band camp can take up a lot of time, but then I also um, do things with them that is um, encouraging the, the love for advanced camp, mm-hmm. you know, that I have for it. Yeah. I was going to say to that point too, we're really cautious about how we talk about these different things that we're doing, you know, like when he's gone, you know, in Oregon, in advanced camp in Oregon, um, you know, I never blame advanced camp, mm. you know, like I'm really intentional. Like the girls will be like, man, I missed dad or why does he have to leave or, you know, whatever. And I'm, I try to be super intentional with, Hey, you know, we, we get to serve people through advanced camp, you know, and, and never saying, well, if your dad was around more or, you know, well, he's gone again for advanced camp, like just that kind of thing. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, you know, and same thing with foster care. Like, I feel like we try to paint that in a really positive light, not we have yet another meeting or another caseworker coming over or whatever, yeah. but instead it's like, Hey, we get to do this. And, yeah. um, you know, cause I never want the girls to think back to their childhood and think, Oh, well, dad cared more about advanced camp than me. Um, you know, or dad cared or mom and dad cared about foster care more than me or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so how we talk about those things is, is crucial. I think. To someone who's maybe listening or watching right now and they're like, man, it seems like Kelsey and Chad are just so in alignment and so can hear from the Lord exactly the same thing. What would you say to the couple? Maybe there's one spouse that's like, okay, I want to do this ministry together, whatever it is. And the other person isn't on the same page. What would y'all say to them? Don't do Mm, it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, until you're in sync. You have to be. Yeah. I, like I would, I mean, 
and and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of times in our almost 10 years of being in ministry together where we have not been in alignment and we don't take that step until we are. And sometimes that means I'm waiting. And sometimes that means I'm praying a lot that God will change his heart to be in alignment for what I think, you know, and ultimately I'm asking God to have both of our hearts in alignment with what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do not move until we are in sync. And I think that, uh, I can't even think of a time that we have done anything and had a, a negative repercussion or anything like that. But you know, I mean, I've, I've I, just seen it before of like in friends or whatever, where it's like one is yeah, gung ho ready to do it. And the other one isn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, nurture that and help them, um, you know, to be open to it. Like we have friends that'll ask, like the wife is really into wanting to foster. And the other one, the husband is like, heck no. I'm like, okay, well dip your feet in, like yeah. ask, provide respite for a foster family so that the husband can see these are just normal kids, you know, or, ha- you know, we'll have them over for dinner and we'll talk openly about yeah. our experience. That's what I was or- going to say is we open up that conversation with them. So I, I do think, I would say statistically probably 75% of the time it's the man that doesn't want to do it. Um, And so I have a lot of uh, wives that will reach out to Kelsey or if I know him through church, they'll reach out to me like, can you talk to my husband for me? I'm like, yeah, I I will. Um, Because it is, it is scary. You got somebody else's kids. Um, You don't want your, your castle disturbed, you know, Uh, being able to speak into that, that for one, it's not as scary. Mm -hmm. And the pluses are more powerful than the negatives. Mm, That's good. Chad, what would you say to the wife, um, you know, maybe who's wanting to step into ministry, but she's waiting. She's kind of in the posture that Kelsey was talking about. She's praying about it. She's seeing if God's going to change, you know, the man's heart. What could she be doing to support or also make him feel heard in that situation? I think that's the big part of it is for him to feel heard that she's, she's asking good questions. I know guys don't like to talk a whole lot. So, you know, it's, uh, not you. No, how much time do we have on this? Uh, no, I, I think it is. I think the big part is we want to be heard. Like, you know, it, most guys don't want to express fears. Um, but honestly, I, I have fears, um, especially, you know, in, in foster care, it's, there's a lot of unanswered questions. You know, you have a young man or a little, a little kid that comes in the house that you, you don't know their history. You don't know their past. And so um, I, I think that's one thing is you got to talk to them, find out their fears. Um, I think the other big thing is, is that he doesn't want to be stuck alone with like, mm-hmm. like they're doing the battle on their own. You know, that's the butterflies and rainbows. we got a baby, but then, you know, in the middle of the night, yeah. You know, am I dealing with this thing or, you know, is this a team thing? So I think they want to know that they're not in it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as much as guys push away uh, community, um, I would, I, any, if there's any guys listening, it's like, man, get a community before you do this. Yeah. I have an incredible community now. If I came across a struggle or a burden or a frustration, I got a community of guys that, you know, we can go out and go fishing and vent about, you know, life right so we just or get refreshed or or you know call up a group of guys and i know they pray over me in a heartbeat you know so um i'd say get a get a good community mm-hmm. um get a good group of good guys together and i think that's what wife needs to encourage that though too is 
um kelsey can actually see when i'm like starting to hit the end and she's like well you should probably get your fishing pole go spend some time <laughs> yeah i mean do that for you not for us <laughs> <laughs> that's good um you guys talked about how you intentionally you know date your children how do you intentionally keep your marriage first as well with all of the ministry things with full-time jobs and all of that what does that look like for y'all Date night, Wednesday night. Yeah. Woo! Tell me about it, girl. Expand upon that. How long is that? It's been five years now? Because uh, Quinley, Quinley was like three months old. Yep. Yeah. So we probably missed a handful, like yeah. five or six in the last five years. Yeah. So we are five our, or six, like that's totally. Great. That's yeah. great. Our um, youngest biological, Quinley, uh, she's uh, five now, uh, but she screamed for the first four months of her life. Yeah. Um, she didn't sleep she didn't eat she didn't like she was she just screamed um she was very difficult and we had to uh well we had one really tough placement uh kiddo with us at that point um one of the very few that we've had to ask um to leave our home um which is a heartbreaking situation but anyway so we had her and a second foster child so we had two 12 year olds um and then our two 12 year old girls yeah. want to talk about being outnumbered guys <laughs> a little a little too much estrogen for you Chad. <laughs> uh so anyway so she so we had all that we had our uh naomi was what the two uh, zoe was one and then quinley was a newborn uh it was honestly one of the lowest points of my adult life. I mean, it was, it was really tough. It was the, the most depression I've struggled with and all that. Anyway. So we are sitting in this place of like, we've got to do something like our marriage is struggling. I'm struggling. Our kids are struggling. Um, so we did, like I said, we had to ask for one of our kiddos to be removed, uh, from our home, um, which was kind of one of the practical steps. And then implementing a weekly date night was the the big, uh, thing that we started then. Um, we did have to go through like four different babysitters before we found one that would mm-hmm. stick <laughs> yeah. because they babysit Quinley one time and be like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> they lost our number but, somehow. Yeah, somehow. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's actually then how we got Brooke. So Brooke is our 22 year old that lived with us from, or that moved with us from Oregon that lives with us now. Um, so she was working in the nursery at church and got Quinley to fall asleep one time. And Chad was like, we need your number. You have oh, to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pay you whatever we promise yeah. <laughs> so we got her then and let me be honest like it's it's a there has been several seasons since then where it's been tough to do a weekly date night uh financially mm-hmm. uh emotionally i mean just all kinds of things um but we we decided that it was so important that we would cut costs on other things we would um, you know, Find there were cheap day or free date nights. Yeah. There were times I just make dinner at home and like package it up and do a thing and take it with. And we'd go sit on the dock at on the, the river. Yeah. At the river yeah. and eat dinner. And it was free, you know, obviously I pay for babysitter, but it, there wasn't dinner. There wasn't whatever, but just having that time mm-hmm. out of the house without the kids, um, just the two of us. And, you know, just, just having that solitude, um, has been so important. So yeah, like we said, we've done Wednesday night, date night, literally every week since then. Yeah. Probably missed maybe five or so. Um, and that's become just part of our routine. Um, and that's, I mean, Brooke has watched the kids every single Wednesday night since then. And, um, that's why we had to have her moved to Texas. (laughs) Um, but it's been so vital and 
And there's times where our date night is a lot of logistics, you mm-hmm. know, lately it's okay. Have you booked flights for, you know, Florida? Nope. Okay. Let's book those real quick, you know, or, all right, we're going to Nashville. You know, we got to book those or, okay, do we have a hotel for this? All right. Now, Hey, by the way, it's class snack this week. So we need to go to the store and get, you know, snacks or like, so oftentimes it is a lot of those logistics. And I know some couples kind of put like rules around their date nights um, where it's like, oh, you can't talk about the kids or you can't talk about this or that. We don't do any of that because uh, I think just because it's part of our weekly routine now. We don't don't make that rule. Yeah. Yeah. We don't make that rule. So there's, like I said, there's times it's straight logistics, but we're having that time together and doing those things together. Um, But then there's other times where we'll go to Fort Worth and we'll do a big, you know, fancy dinner, go see a show or, you know, whatever it may be. So um, it's kind of a mixture, but um, yeah, that's, that's been a big part of it. And then traveling together too Mm -hmm. has been a big piece. Um, So we try to get away um, at least twice a year, um, ideally more often than that. And sometimes it's, you know, just into Dallas Fort Worth area for kind of a staycation or, Sometimes it's, uh, we went to Nashville last year, I yeah, think. October. Yeah. Um, you know, so sometimes it's flying somewhere. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, for my birthday last year, we went down to the coast of Texas and camped on the beach. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so just having that like retreat away, uh, about twice a year has been a big thing for us too. Yeah. Um, from, a, a more of a communication side of it. Yeah, she was talking and reminded me about um, the girl that we didn't have to ask to, to leave. Um, I think a big thing about keeping, you know, our marriage strong um, through all this stuff is understanding you're on the same team. Mm, um, so true. First two kids that we got, um, the family actually came to us, they had them before and said, man, they like they divided and conquered. Mm-hmm. And well, I'm stubborn. So, uh, <laughs> so it was crazy because what was happening to them is they were getting divided and conquered. And what was happening to us is every time a situation happened, we came together in our room on our own terms, on our own ground, without a kid in the room. And we talked through it and we came together to solve the problem. Um, So that's a, I I feel like that's a big thing. You got to understand like the communication side of it. And then you also have to understand your limitations. And I think what happened is is if this girl, uh, she was past our limitations, we aren't doing her any justice if we're accepting somebody into our home that we aren't trained mm. or, like, able to, able care to take for. care of. Yeah. yeah. So she was beyond our abilities. Um, there's some medical stuff. There's some behavioral stuff that was outside of our realm. Um, and we had to come together and be like, okay, this, like we have to humble ourselves. Like, yes, we want to be a good foster parent for her, but we also understand there's somebody that could be way better than us yeah. because mm outside of our, our area um, of expertise. So we've had to do that with a couple that are just out of our expertise, a lot of therapeutic stuff yeah. that we're not trained in. And we need to know that. Um, I think what would have happened is if we would have kept her around longer than it, it could have caused a lot more stress in our family and our marriage and our life. Um, yeah. So know, know your limitations. So. That's really good. That's really good. And, you know, a door that might be closed for her might be a future door that's open for her. And then also a future door for you guys to invite your, you know, it's not multiplication always, but you know, that's sometimes the way with God closes doors, he's opening it up for someone else. So that's, that's a good perspective. And um, Chad, you mentioned kind of at the beginning of the interview, asking or saying to the Lord, God, what do you want to do with me? I think sometimes in our society, we live kind of a selfish life. It's like, okay, I want to do this. And I have this dream and this goal um, together. How have you guys postured yourself to do that 
for instance, you know, moving from Oregon to Texas, um, starting advanced camp, what does that posture look like? And, and is that, is that just like a one-time thing or is this like a daily, you know, in a sense, (laughs) surrender and dying to self and saying, Lord, really, what do you want to do with me? Um, I mean, for me, it's daily. Um, When you have uh, so much at, I don't know, I wouldn't say at risk, but you got so much going on. Um, I guess the place I put myself uh, mentally is if I try to do it, like it, it'll turn, it could turn out okay. If I do this under my own decisions, my own, my own power. But I know that if I do this in God's direction and God's power, yep. it'll always turn out the way, like I can literally rest in a place that it'll be a good end all, you know? Um, like, I, I don't know, I guess, so Nashville is a good example is I had a buddy come to me that actually moved from Oregon to Nashville and he goes, man, you got to come out here that follow us out here that really needs your help. Like this community. That, um, I said, okay, great. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, I said, yeah. I said, man, if, if God opens that door, I'll put on my tennies and I'll run through that door. Yeah. But does it, like, I, I'm not meant to be there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it took us about six months of talking and I honestly praying about it and like, all right, Lord, if you want me there, man, just open doors and I'll, I'll do as you ask. And about six months into it, I called him up and I said, Hey, let's, let's start a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. but it was definitely like at the time that he brought it up. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, God is not telling me to do this. I'm uh, Nashville. I love Nashville. I'd go and visit him anytime. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to be there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it very much is a daily thing for me, especially, um, especially with the ministry itself and, um, and trying to balance a family, make sure the family's taken care of in the midst of that. It's definitely a, it's definitely a daily thing. Well, and I feel like too, that sometimes God asks us to take that first step, even if we're not sure. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I don't, there's only been a handful of times that I feel like I've audibly heard God tell me to do something, right. you know, yep. and, and only a few more times where I feel like I'm like, okay, yeah, I think this is what God wants me to do. Sometimes it's something I want to do. And I think that it is in alignment with what God's heart is. Yeah. Um, sometimes it takes just taking that first step and saying, okay, Lord, like I, I really am passionate about this. or I really think that you might be calling me to something in here. I'm going to go ahead and take this first step and then be open to seeing what he does. Um, and being really sensitive to what that looks like, you know, and is like Chad said, is he opening those doors? You know, Chad, Chad took that first step of like, Hey, let's, let's talk. Let's, you know, start to have these conversations. Okay. Well, I firmly believe that if God doesn't want that to happen, then he'll close those doors. And for whatever reason, it'll be difficult to push that forward. Um, you know, but if, if it's something that he is in, then it's going to start happening. Um, you know, so that's kind of been how we've tried to handle things, you know, the move to Texas, for example, Mm -hmm. like that was totally a God thing of just like a random, we were on vacation here and we're like, Hey, we really like it here. Maybe we should move. And yeah. then six months later, we're here. Um, you know, but, uh, and just taking that first step and saying, okay, Lord, like we're going to, we're going to pray about this. And for our move specifically, I mean, we spent time in prayer. We spent time asking God to give us confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. I'm a slow learner. I need a lot of confirmation. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, we spent time fasting. We, I mean, it was literally like, okay, Lord, like that's one where it's like, I'm not really going to take that step because that's a really big step until we know for certain that this is what you want. Um, So. 
I don't know. So good. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I I love it when I get to blame it on God, you know, Mm -hmm. power. Um, For one, if it fails, it's your fault. Um, And if (laughs) if you succeed, then you get, you get this big head on your shoulders. Right. Whereas I like Florida, when we launched Florida camp for advanced camp, like I literally, I have no excuse besides God. Yeah. I, I made a couple of calls because God laid something in front of me and said, here's somebody to, to contact. And the first person is a single, you know, mom that runs the, or a lady that runs the women's, moms women's portion yeah. of the single mom's ministry. And literally I reached out to her almost three years ago. And, um, that's just, literally just kind of laid it out in front of me of like her call the Sheridan house. And so I did that and it's like, but literally doors open, um, donors came in, resources came in. And I literally have, I, I didn't do it. Like yeah. I just was, I, everything I did was out of obedience. So people are like, man, how'd you make those connections? I'm like, mm. I, I, I really, I don't know where to go with that. Um, and so it's, it's neat to know that if you're resting in, in it and just letting God do his thing, it's pretty cool to be able to blame it on him. Or this is, this was God's deal. And I'm just get to watch it happen. Mm-hmm. So good. I mean, it's, it's obvious too, that you don't want to do something without the Lord's direction in that, you know, I mean, yes, take those steps, but you're right. It's like, do you want him to open the doors? Do you want the timing to be right? Do you want to have the peace to be able to do it? Because what y'all are taking on every single day in the natural is impossible. Right. Um, but because you have prayerfully and, you know, surrendered to the Lord and continue to surrender to the Lord, I think that's, what's so important. I love how in the transition from foster care kids to taking a break, you guys have to all get on the same page as a family. You guys got to pray things out because it's not that you're going to necessarily, you might plan, but you may not do a 20 year plan because you're like, Lord, I want to walk in step with you. I don't want to run ahead and I don't want to be behind. So I'm proud of you guys for that. Okay. We've been like alluding to a little bit about advanced camp. Tell me all about it. I want to know all the things. What sure. is advanced camp? <sighs> okay. Well, this is where Here you start. We go. <laughs> Look at that, that face light up. <laughs> yeah. comes from, uh, no, I mean, in a nutshell, um, I actually, it's funny. I just had to send um, a business in Oregon. Our mission statement is it's, we serve fatherless young men between sixth and 12th grade. Uh, tangible skills we feel like a father should have if he was still around along with the love of christ so that's kind of over overarching what we do um the more finite side of things um i mean we literally teach anything to these young men that we feel like a dad should have and it's when i say anything it's literally anything uh we actually implemented rc cars this year that these young men will have to tear an RC car down to, they could tear it down to the frame and rebuild it. And then we race them, you know, teach them how to do art, you know, different styles of RC cars. We do welding, blacksmithing, automotive, lawn care, general contracting, general contracting, yeah. leather working, bicycle tuning repair. We literally cooking. do it all. Yeah. Cooking, barbecuing. Yeah. That was actually brought on by a camper said, man, I, we just did cowboy cooking. So all open fire cast iron cooking goes, I really want to learn how to grill. I'm like, duh. Like that's something dad would teach you is how to like, that's what my dad did. My mom did oven and my dad did barbecue. Like that was just part of our life. It's like, obviously we need to teach grilling. So we do grilling and smoking. Um, and, uh, I mean, we do it all actually, but, um, so that's what we teach. Um, the neat thing about it though, is, um, what we teach is actually just the conduit, um, to create a relationship. Mm, love so it. The biggest thing that we battle, people always ask me like, what's the biggest thing that you come across with advanced camp? And it's identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because Kelsey talked about that in her first 
uh, podcast, but um, really identity is the biggest thing. These young men take the identity from their dad and put it on them. And then that's how they think they're going to, they're going to run the rest of their life mm-hmm. and extremely damaging. Um, I did a young man that his dad was convicted of murder and he ended up isolating himself because he's like, I'm going to become my dad. And I was like, sorry, buddy, that's a lie. That's, that's just because you're related to him. Doesn't mean that's what you're going to, that's what you're going to do. So we disconnect him from his biological father and reconnect him to the Lord. So we really need to move him away from this horizontal connection to the vertical connection. Um, the, and that's all done through relationships. That's all done through know? like conversations. Yeah. During camp itself. Yeah. Um, the other big thing that we do with identity is um, we also take the identity of their biological father that they automatically attach to God. Like, yes, 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 yes. My biological father didn't love me. Well, God's he's only there for me when it's convenient for him. God's only there. He only loves me. You know, he, he, he loves everybody, but I'm a little bit lower on his list. Um, And so we, we've moved that identity away. Um, So that's another thing that we really do is we speak into identity in the young men's lives, um, encourage them, let them know they're loved and cared for. Um, uh, it would teach the trades that hopefully will open up opportunities for them for a career later in life. Um, I know one of the things I speak about quite often is teaching trades versus four-year college degrees. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a four-year college degree, but it's not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, statistically, 71% of high school dropouts are fathers. You know, they're from mm-hmm. fathers. So if you, if you're struggling to get through high school, why would you shove you into a $120,000 four-year college degree? Right. It's no right. Sense. We still need plumbers. We still need electricians. We still need concrete guys. We still need welders. Why would we shove you into something that doesn't fit when we can think that is good paying, that's satisfying, that can be a great career? Yep. So we open their eyes to this stuff. We, you know, we try to teach bicycle tuning repair at a bike shop and automotive at an auto shop. And we're doing blacksmithing in Oregon in January. And we're doing it at a blacksmith, um, a farrier shop, actually, Mm -hmm. teaching them horseshoeing. And so we teach them those things. They'll look and be like, oh, this is awesome. I want to, I want to do this for a living. This is incredible. Um, and so we, we do that to open up their eyes to that. Um, there's multiple layers to advanced camp. People are like, put it like just this little short, you know, little tip on what it is. I'm like, yeah, it's not that short. Um, well, and practically like logistically speaking um, here in Texas, they meet once a month on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a day long camp. Um, they eat, uh, lunch together and then head home just before dinner. Um, and then, uh, he launched Florida in September. September. Um, and that's once a quarter, um, on a Saturday. So he'll fly out to, um, to Florida. He's got, um, mentors out there that he's working with, um, young men out there, that sort of thing. And then Oregon launched in July. July. Yep. yep. So he flies out to Oregon once a quarter. Um, so it's once a month in Texas and then once a quarter in Oregon and once a quarter in Florida. Yeah. Oh, it's literally everything that you spoke to. So I've shared parts of my story on this podcast, but my children have a fatherless situation. Their dad passed away in 2015. And then he really wasn't a part of their life. They're like, they don't have a lot of memory of the situation, but everything that you said, thinking specifically about my son, he's 14, you know, the identity, the questions that he has, who he feels inadequate when another boy knows how to fix a bike part or fix, you know, knows how to change oil, knows any of those things, change a tire, those kinds of things. So you are speaking like to exactly what I have seen and what I've witnessed. Um, so I'm going to ask some questions, um, 
not because I'm feeling like this, but the skeptical mom that's listening right now, the skeptical single mom. So question number one might be, well, how do I know that I can trust these guys? So how would you respond to that? Well, there's two questions I always get from the moms and that's one of them. Where do I find my mentors? Mm -hmm. Um, Mentors here in Texas, it's a little easier. These are guys I do life with, uh, whether I serve with them at the church, I've been on men's ministry trips with them. We do Bible studies together. We've done community group together. So these guys I I do life with, and I actually evaluate them for a long time before I ever let them be a mentor. Um, A little different in Florida. I don't know very many of them. Um, So those are all come to me through pastoral or men's ministry groups um, and leadership that's sending them to me, not just random people, but it's leadership that's sending them to me. Yeah. Um, And then they have to go through, I'll go through what they actually have to process through. In Oregon, 39 years in Oregon, I have connections through different, um, just people I did life with, I grew up with. Um, I used to run advanced camp in Oregon before moving it, um, moving our corporate here to, um, to Texas. And I, I recruited a couple, couple, three of those mentors, excuse me, a couple, three of those mentors back up in Oregon. So that's kind of been growing just naturally out of people I know in Oregon. Um, but for the well, moms and mentors don't approach you typically saying, Hey, I want a mentor. Not. Yeah. Um, that's kind of creepy to me, to be honest. Yeah. And if they do, it's a, okay, great. We can talk, but it's not mm-hmm. just an automatic sign up. Um, Chad really seeks out yeah. men to mentor, uh, individually versus accepting anybody that applies. Yeah. So yeah, once somebody does apply, they have to go through an application online, which is uh, two pastoral staff references. Um, once that happens and we do either a Zoom call or an in-person interview, um, if they can pass that, then we do a national background check. So it's a coast-to-coast background check. Um, they do ministry safe um, certification. So they have to go through that. We have a 14-page policy procedure manual that they have to read through sign and date a year long commitment uh, letter. So they commit to us at least for a year of minimum. Um, and then they have liability release form. But um, I guess the easiest way to say it is I don't make it easy on them. Yeah. I actually, yeah. um, I, I make them go through some hoops because if they're going to do it, I need them committed to doing it. Um, that they're intentional about being there. Um, so that's one question I get from a lot of moms is like, well, who is going to be speaking in my lives? Um, and they, they are all, um, uh, faith-based guys, um, they go to church. That's part of the process. That's part of the protocol because um, they need to be able to speak Jesus into these young men's lives. Mm. Standing there or not, like I can't, I can't be the voice of everybody. So I need a bunch of Jesus-loving men to to step it up. So, um, okay. Question number two that runs through kind of that filtered perspective is why why does my son need it? Like, if I'm a single mom, then I can be that for them. Why is that important? Yeah. Um, so I get that often. Um, I, I, I don't get it as often as you think, at least they don't verbalize it to me um, that I'm a mom. I, I'm a strong mom. I can do it. I can do it all. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you absolutely can, but you can't be a man. Yep. I mean, I, I, that's, that's the basics. Um, but what I tell these moms that are kind of battling with that is um, moms and dads are designed equal, but different. Um, yeah. Dads are to teach a, a girl how to love and a mom is to teach a girl how to become a lady. Mm. And dad is to teach, um, or sorry, that mom the, is to teach, teach son the how to son how to love. Yeah. And the dad teaches a, a boy how to become a man. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of them. That's one of the big things I tell them. It's like, Hey, it's, it's not like one's greater or less than the other. It's just, they both, both pieces need to be there. Um, 
So that's one thing I like to focus on a lot. But the, the crazy thing is I hear from moms all the time, moms or aunts or grandmas, whoever are raising these young men is what is the deal? What are you guys doing that they're listening to you? Mm-hmm. I, I said, don't take it personally. I was actually just talking to a mom about it this morning. I said, don't take it personally, but you got to understand that these young men, when you tell them that you're proud of them or that you love them or that you care about them, they think you're doing it because you have to. Yeah. You're the your requirement as a mom. Yeah. So they, that's the, that's the mindset they're at is they, they're hearing it because they have to from us. They're hearing it because they know that we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a different perspective. Moms want to, but that's not how they hear it. That's the filter that they have. The other piece of it is, is we're a different tone of voice. Mm-hmm. So I tell moms, I'm like, you got to understand they're hearing it from mom. They're hearing it from aunt. They're hearing it from grandma. They're hearing it from the teacher. Um, those are all women's voices. And also mm-hmm. voice comes in there with a different temperament or a different tone. And it's just, it's, it's, it's like all of a sudden tone deaf is gone. Like, Oh, Oh, who's this is talking to me. And so it's just, you do need that. Um, also, we went through an intentional parenting class and there's a switch um, at a certain age with kids that switches from who's the, um, yeah, the disciplinary um, and who's the friend that switches in at about, I think it's eight or 10. Yeah. It switches to the dad being the disciplinary. Mm. Well, if the mom stays the friend the whole time or mom stays the disciplinary the whole time, there's, there can be some struggles that mom deals with. Mm. The other thing too is guys need that shoulder to shoulder. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. they need to be working on a car together. They need to be, you know, cooking dinner on a grill together side by side. Um, that's a, that's a posture of a lot of men is, you know, they'll talk when they're like this women want to talk when you're like this, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so for the young men, you know, a lot of that conversation can happen because they're tearing apart a carburetor. And so, you know, they're figuring it out or um, I mean, Chad's told stories of young men being triggered by different things at camp and having to go mm-hmm. remove themselves from the situation because they all of a sudden had a memory from, doing something similar, you know, changing oil or whatever it may be with their dad. And that triggers things. Well, then it creates an opportunity for a man that's a different man to come and speak into that and say, Hey, let's create a different memory, you know, or give the space for him to unpack that, that a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have ever happened, you know? And so it, that shoulder to shoulder time uh, with guys, I think is so important. Um, And I'll also say too, is oftentimes the mom's that don't understand the value once their son goes to camp one time Mm -hmm. then they understand the value um he gets texts all the time of the confidence my young man had my son has is incredible after one camp you know or he came home and started working on our lawn you know right after (laughs) camp or whatever he's got the biggest smile on us you know whatever it may be and so it's like once they do that one time then they're like all right i get it yeah we had a mom in florida just um she I, I just did my email to invite him, all the young men to come back to our next camp. And she goes, man, he's coming back. Like, you don't understand that he went to one camp and he came out of a shell after one camp. Yeah. I'm like, I don't feel like we did anything special, but we invited them. We yeah. worked on a bike with him. He actually got to take a bike home because he didn't have one at home and we had somebody donate him. And so, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like what one camp can do. Um, but, uh, I have, so one other thing that I wanted to point out was, uh, the other thing too is, so you have, I don't know, probably a handful of 
um, women that have contacted him that are homosexual. And so they're either married to a woman or uh, dating another woman, that kind of thing. So two women in the house, even them come to chat and say, they need a man in, in, you know, my son needs a man in in his life. Yeah. And so even, even two women who, you know, that's the choices that they have made. They still see that need Mm -hmm. and they're to camp and their son is fueled in a different way Mm -hmm. than their moms at home do, you know? So even, even in that situation, um, you know, they still see the fruit of a a man talking to a young man. So it's kind of funny that you say that. So that, that, that sparked my, um, my memory on something. So one of the reasons, other things that helps keep our marriage strong is we, we do go to marriage counseling and it's, kind of like keep it, it's like uh, you do a tune up and oil changes on cars. So we're doing a tune up and oil change on our marriage and um, just make sure things are going good and communications good. Well, our counselors, the Christian counselor, she goes, Hey, have you ever seen that article about um, the transfer of testosterone? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. She goes, no, there's a college that did a study. And when a older man sits next to a younger man and works on a project together, there's actually a physical transfer of testosterone. Wow. So, this man, this younger man is like gaining testosterone to become a man by doing something next to a man. And, um, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, crazy. God is crazy. The way he works. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Scary part of it is though, is I had a mom in Oregon that came to me and said, I don't get it. I need my son to come to camp. He's feminine. And she goes, I don't get it. I I work on cars. I shoot guns. I'm a better shot with a pistol than most men I know, which more focused with guns and men are. Um, so she's like, I don't get it. I can start a campfire. Like I go camping, I chop wood. I start thinking as soon as I, that ha- she said that this, uh, this study was done, a light bulb went off. I'm like, Oh, mm. I'm working on projects and gaining t- estrogen instead of testosterone. I'm like that now it's starting to make sense. So, um, I was like, okay, that like things are starting to click here for me. And so, you know, that's part of it is like, we don't spread out when we do camp. We don't spread out and go all over the place. No, I'm literally, if I'm fishing, I got to, I, I got to do close enough that I can touch a shoulder. Like okay. it's all shoulder to shoulder next to each other doing what I say, dude stuff. Um, you know, doing guys stuff, getting dirty, smelling like two stroke gasoline engine oil afterwards, you know, you know, it's like doing that next to another guy is, is growing them up into a, into a man. Mm. So good. So if I have some single mamas watching and they're like, okay, how, how do I get involved? What, what does that process look like for my, for my son? What, what, what can we do? Um, so the process for mom is way simpler than becoming a mentor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, first I want to, I want to preface it with camp is, is totally free for single moms. Mm. There is absolutely no cost for them. And when I mean no cost, if we do fishing and they need a fishing license, if we do hunting and they need a hunting license, if we do an activity and their equipment needed, that is literally all paid for. So that's why we get private donors or churches that partner with us to be able to provide us to be able to do that. So moms, if money is an issue, money is not an issue. That is never an excuse with us. Um, so to get involved, uh, there's really a couple of ways they can go onto our website and just request information, just contact us. Hey, I'm interested in my 13 year old son um, becoming part of camp. Um, that initiates a conversation via email or text message to set up a time to have that, that kind of intake conversation. And that's really just to say, 
this is what we do at camp. This is what you can expect from camp. This is what we talk about at camp. This is what we expect out of your son at camp. Um, they can say that works for me, or they say, mm, that doesn't work. That's not going to really, that, that it's not, it's not going to fit. Um, you know, I've had some moms, I tell them we do it on the second Saturday of every month. They're like, ah, second Saturday is dad visits. Mm. So for us. Um, and I've had others that, um, man, I can't even get my first line out and they're like, done. We'll sign them up. You'll be there. <laughs> prayer. And, um, I mean, I've had moms on the phone crying with me because they're like, seriously, Chad, like I, I literally have been searching for this for years for my son. Yeah. So that initial conversation happens. If everything's good to go, everything's what they want it to be. It looks like it's going to work good from our side as well. Then I send them paperwork and they have two pieces of paperwork to fill out. One's a medical liability release form. Just saying, if something happens, we can go get them taken care of. Um, the other one is an application, and we actually we actually ask the son to fill that out. Ma- mass majority of it, at least, you know, it says why they want to come to camp, what's their shirt size, what you know, do you have any siblings, what grade are you in, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just kind of lighter. And then we once that's done, we get on a phone call, and we do a three way phone call, me, mom, and son. And I did uh, about eighteen years of outside sales, so this is when I put my sales hat on, mm-hmm. and these young men about what we do and why we do what we do and what the activities we do. And cause some of these young men are like, man, I I'm not going mom's making me literally just going to ask that question next. What do you do in that situation? If the mom is excited about it and the son's like, I don't need that. And I'm not interested in that stuff. Cause I think in my son's situation, be when he feels inadequate in a certain area building or any of those areas that we've talked about, I won't be able to catch the fish in front of everybody because I don't know how to do it. Then they pull back and the walls come up. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? Well, that's, that's, it's, you know, I've always said, why, man, I am done with sales. I so don't want to be in sales. <laughs> like you'll always be in sales. And so I literally, I, I tell moms that I, I previous before getting the young man on the phone, I will tell mom, this is, I, I will do a sales pitch here. Even if they are interested, like mm-hmm. this is my, time to put on my sales hat and share with them about what we do, why we do what we do. Um, explain what, what the topics are. I'll ask them what they want to learn. And a lot of times they'll be like, Oh, I want to do fishing. I'm like, great. I actually have it scheduled later this year. I'm not going to tell you which weekend because it's a surprise, but we will be doing that. And so it starts kind of getting them going. Um, I've had some young men that said, Nope, not coming. Grandma made me pick up this phone. It was a guy that was raised by his grandma and great grandma. He goes, uh, grandma made me pick up the phone and talk to you. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's, you know, let's hear about you and I'll share about camp. And he goes, no, I'm not, I'm not coming. Like they're making me be there. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I mean, dude, that's part of our rule. You have to want to be there. Um, you can't be forced to be there uh, because we do dangerous stuff and I can't have somebody hurt um, or, you know, create an unsafe environment. You go, whoa, 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 wait. You do dangerous, dangerous stuff. What are you blowing us something up? <laughs> we do welding. We do archery. We shoot guns. We, um, we do blacksmithing. I said, dude, blacksmithing, we're working with 1200 degree metal. Like if you mess up, you're going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shoot guns. If you aren't doing being wise, injuries can happen. He goes, Oh, I'm in. I'm like, <laughs> really? I just had to say stuff. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it is my time to turn, you know, turn on the sales salesman and sell these young men on why they want to be there. Um, you know, that, the inadequacy, we actually talked about that this morning, my, my men's Bible study group of young men and their inadequacies and they, how much pushback. Um, so I'll be definitely more in tune with that um, going forward, but it's always been about these young men feeling included, um, involved and not singled out. Cause that's the other thing I get is like, man, I don't want to show up and be the only one there without a dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
It's literally everywhere. You're, you're all that way, right? Yeah. And, and so it's funny, we're sitting at, uh, in Oregon, uh, we did a, our surf camp, this last camp in October. It was with a single mom. Uh, we, we did her lawn. And um, she's talking about, you know, raising her son on her own. And, and uh, one of the other guys, the other mentors, like, yeah, I was raised, you know, or his wife was a single mom for a bit. And he goes, this kid looks at me and goes, hey, my mom's a single mom too. And we all kind of stop and look around and we're like, buddy, you're with company, man. <laughs> yeah. All the young men around here are with single moms. And uh, it was just one of those moments of like, oh, I'm not unusual. Like I'm not left out. Like I'm, I'm part of something now. And so I really try to impress that on these young men that they're part of something like, you know, that they don't have to feel like less, mm-hmm. you know, um, well, you mentioned, oh, go ahead, Kelsey, what were you going to say? Um, Chad doesn't tell the young men. The moms know, but the young men don't know what camp is oh, going yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't pick and choose like, oh, I want to learn about fishing, but I don't want to learn about blacksmithing, you know, or whatever. Like it's either you're in or you're not. And so that also creates kind of a like excitement, anticipation. Yeah. Like, I wonder what camp is going to be. So, oh, yeah, they love it. Yeah. That, that Christmas morning excitement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the way for a single mom to, you know, go through the processes to go to your website, just because people might be listening or driving. What is your website? We'll make sure and put it in the show notes as well. Sure, it's uh, www and then advancedcampusa.com. So advanced, there's no D at the end. So it's A-D-V-A-N-C-E-C-A-M-P-U-S-A.com. Perfect. And maybe we don't have single moms. Maybe we have people that are like, I believe in this. Can I donate somewhere? How do they do that? Same website, um, you on same website and then go under give, um, they can do it that way. Um, and if they, I do have some guys, um, that, that give monthly that prefer to write a check, um, and they can reach out to me through our website and get them our PO box. Um, so they can do it that way, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah. Or, or if there's some guys that's listening to this, it says, man, I have a heart for this. Yeah. Like I want to see what it look like to be a product knowledge expert and to be able to say, Hey, I'm a blacksmith by trade. I, I love to serve, um, especially young men. Like I want to teach them what I'm doing. Uh, so this trade doesn't die. They say, I, I got a, a resource and then that's a good way to reach out as well. I love it. Go ahead. Uh, you can give one time or you can do a monthly donation. Um, so the goal of the monthly donations is to cover the cost of camp uh, for each camper mm-hmm. um, is really how that's set up. Um, so that's in there too. So good. You guys, thank you so much for just all that you're doing and giving us some words of wisdom on how to navigate it as a family and doing ministry. Um, Just so grateful for this time and excited for all of you that are watching and listening to be able to maybe look into foster care, maybe look into if you know a single mom who could use advanced camp for her kiddo and just all these things. This has been, been a good, rich conversation. Thank you for reminding us to put your marriage first, put your relationship with the Lord first, and then he's going to put everything together. So I thank you for that. So thank you for your time today, guys. I appreciate you. Wow. We covered a whole lot of ground today from what it looks like to serve in ministry with your family, to being aligned as a couple, to putting your family first, plus a bit of what foster care looks like and hearing about advanced camp for the fatherless. This episode brought so much wisdom, it deserves to hit that replay button a few different times. Well, if you are enjoying this podcast, then the best way to let us know that is by taking a moment to give us a review. By giving us a review, it allows us to keep bringing you more content each week. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time, but until then, you keep living those brave stories for Jesus.
I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption.